Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silken at Edinburgh. I'm joined as always by Frank Cogliano. How are you doing, Frank? Good morning, David. I'm doing great. Thank you. Very well. Oh, before we start, can I, sorry, sorry, I'm interrupting you already, which will be a well-known phenomenon to listeners. Uh, before we start, can I just uh, give a shout out to a listener, Vernon from Fresno, who wrote to us after last week's Hall of Fame episode. And Vernon oh, sure. uh, shared his thoughts, and I, I sent his email on to you about the kind of connection between the debates over who is honored in the Baseball Hall of Fame and the debate over Confederate and other monuments. And it was a very thoughtful email, and we want to thank Vernon for writing to us. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we love listener mail because uh, they keep us on our toes and they, they prove to us that people are actually listening occasionally. That's great. Um, right. So we're now a month uh, from the, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, uh, where one would have seen or one saw a number of people wearing uh, QAnon symbols or symbols associated with the QAnon conspiracy, QAnon shaman dressed in animal or something. Uh and what we thought we would do today is see if we can sort of make some sense of QAnon, if that's such a thing as possible, or if not doing that, at least try to put it into some historical context and, and see what other sort of analogies. So Frank, I think most of our listeners have probably heard of QAnon, but I'm imagining many of them also don't really understand what it is. In as much as anybody understands what it is, do you want, should we try to see if we can sort of give, give the basic details of what QAnon is? We can try. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I have to confess that in anticipation of this um, episode, I did do a little bit of research, although I was a little reluctant to have the kind of questions I was asking in my browser history now, <laughs> searching for QAnon and things, and, and very, very wary of which websites I clicked on in, in doing mm. this. So I tried to stick to reputable news sites. Uh, the short answer is, and, and again, I'm not an expert on QAnon itself. I'm not sure anybody is, is... QAnon seems to be, and, and by all means, please uh, add whatever details you can, but it seems to me in my reading to be a widespread belief in parts of the, particularly of the far right. I mean, I don't, this is not a mainstream belief necessarily, although it is, it's widespread in certain areas, that there is a conspiracy, there's a sort of shadow group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles with in the United States government and other kind of leading institutions in the in the country and internet globally, and that that closely kind of shadows, if you will, that's probably the wrong word to use, the deep state. So these are key members of the government, uh, particularly Hillary, centered around Hillary Clinton, because this is a this is a, a, a conspiracy that kind of started uh, when Hillary Clinton was running for president. Um, and these people must be stopped. And they, ha Donald Trump is the leader of the movement, emerged as the kind of figurehead or the leader of the movement, which will stop QAnon, resulting in the execution of Hillary Clinton, among others, hmm. and, the, and, and other leaders of this satanic conspiracy of child abusers. It began on, uh, or it, it was... First expressed on 4chan, which is a alt-right or far-right um, method of communication on the dark web, and uh, those are the those are, that's my understanding of what the basic elements are. David, do you want to do you want to uh, add anything? Yeah. So the the name Q uh, starts off on 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 this uh, uh, postings on 4chan and it later moves to 8chan, which is a related but similar site. Um, I wouldn't classify this as quite as dark web. This is more sort of 
gray web or it's more, okay, so okay. it's more of the ugly part of the the open internet as opposed to other stuff okay um, and and the post came from a person who identified as q uh who claimed to be a high person with high clearance in the energy department and supposedly the highest ranking clearance in the energy department is labeled as clearance. And this person has been making periodic posts, um, which are called Q drops, or sometimes they're called breadcrumbs because you have to follow the breadcrumbs. And you know they are, are sort of cryptic messages about this war that, that is happening sort of behind the scenes that you were alluded to between the Satan worshiping pedophiles uh, on the one hand, the people are trying to stop the starting with, with Donald the other. It's a very interesting sort of movement because it does sort of bring in a bunch of other things that don't seem organically related to it at the very beginning, but but then have been sort of uh, of gravity of QAnon has brought uh, lots of other ideas into uh, into the sort of into the mix. Um, you know whether that's ideas about. Uh, Sandy Hook being a false flag or 9-11 truthers or all this other kinds of right-wing conspiracies thinking since to get woven into QAnon. Um, so what is this thing, Frank? Is this a, a conspiracy theory? Is it a, a what's, the, what's the right term for defining what this is? Is yeah, it a political this, movement? Uh, I mean, is one it of a the religion things- or a cult? I mean, I don't know. I think it's got elements of all of those things. I mean, one, one, of, one of the things we talked about in anticipation of this episode, David, was talking about conspiracies and conspiracy theories. And I said to you, well, actually, they're not the same thing. There are actual conspiracies occasionally. There was a conspiracy, for example, to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. Um, Aaron Burr engaged in the conspiracy in 1806. We don't know exactly what he was doing, but he was doing something. And that doesn't mean that, uh, so, so there are occasionally conspiracies. There are also conspiracy theories, both about conspiracies, but also conspiracy theories that seek to explain events uh, or disprove events like the moon, the ones about the moon landing or the Kennedy assassination or things like this. So I think there are there are distinctions to be drawn. And there's also a kind of tendency which um, we can see in elements of American history uh, on the part of some Americans to engage in what might be dubbed conspiratorial thinking or beliefs. I think QAnon is more like that. I mean, it's about a cons- an imagined conspiracy. I believe it's imagined. I don't believe QAnon to be true, um, but I believe that, uh, uh, so I think I, I think it's, it's a conspiracy theory that has attracted fervent, a fervent following. Whether it's religious, as you suggest, it certainly got, re- uses religious imagery um, as well as hyper-patriotic imagery of a certain kind, but I don't think it adds up. I don't think its elements add up to a religion yet. Who knows where we'll be in two centuries time. Um, but hmm. you you suggested before we went on the air that it's a, that it's a cult. Do you want to elaborate on that? Well, I mean, I think the difference between a cult and a religion is simply about the perspective in some ways, but you know, the, the devotion that people who are um, engaging, you know, in this QAnon thinking you know, it does seem to dominate their worldview. It's not simply like people who, who who think about, uh, who claim the moon landing is false or something, right? Where it's like, well, they're normal people generally, but there's just one thing that they are have this bizarre conspiracy about. QAnon's thinking tends to um, dominate the ways in which its, its, its adherents see everything uh, and read the world. And so I think in some ways that has that kind of religious lens to it. There's apocalyptic thinking embedded within QAnon thought 
I mean, one of the things that they sort of anticipate and look forward to, if that's the right word, is something they call the storm in which, you know, these, these people, these Satan worshiping pedophiles are all arrested and executed. You know, we saw uh, hints of that more than hints, I guess, uh, during the, the attack on the Capitol, you know, when they, when they set up a, a gallows on the steps of the Capitol or adjacent to the Capitol, you know, that was partially symbolic, one hopes. But also, you know, people were thinking about this is a, a thing that we are going to do. We are going to catch the pedophiles and, and execute. Um, and then, you know, there's 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 some pretty, I think, strong connections between the sort of apocalyptic thinking of the storm and the kinds of, of end of world theology that lots of cults embrace it, that there's going to be some kind of moment of revelation in which think the world is going to change and remake itself new. Um, and the way I think that, that, that this cult, if, if we're going to use that term, you know, it starts off with this, this, these posts on 4chan and 8chan and, and various other things. But it, the way it absorbs other kinds of conspiratorial thinking reminds me, looks like a religion, the way it can then blend into its worldview, all of these other ideas and, and therefore people. Um, it's remarkably flexible. I mean, all the, the sort of claims that Q have, has made about specific events and dates have turned out not to be true. And the fact that the, the falsibility of the claims has not diminished passion of its adherence also seems quasi Yes, if I can cite one example, David, in doing my research for this episode, what, one, one claim that I came across is that because this particular individual was an adherent to what he saw as a sort of constitutional fundamentalism, mm. uh, which is an element of this, um, he was claiming that, that Donald Trump would still be inaugurated president, but on March 4th, because that was the original inauguration day, and that the storm will come on March 4th and there'll be executions on March 4th. So, so it's one of these cases where uh, something gets predicted, the date comes, it doesn't come to pass, and they just pick another date. Hmm. In that respect, it reminds me uh, of uh, the, the Millerite theology, uh, which was a religious movement from uh, the, the 18, late 1830s and early 1840s, uh, which was a, a religious movement in, in mostly in upstate New York in which uh, followers of a guy named William Miller were looking forward to the end of the world and, and the beginning of, of uh, you know, heaven on earth. And, and Miller, who was a, a farmer and veteran of the War of 1812, predicted specific dates for the end of the world. Uh, I think first, first it was supposed to be in 1843, and then he moves it to 1844, and it changes which month it is. It's based on a very complicated reading of the Bible and numerology. And numerology also seems to be a part of QAnon, weird QAnon things about looking at Trump tweets and trying to assign numerical values. Uh, but, you know, the Millerites... Many of the people who bought into that sold all of their property, trying to prepare themselves for the end of the world. Um, and then uh, the dates that he had picked all came and went. You know, in some ways, I think the the date here of the when when Trump is going to be reinaugurated is it might be another one of the a similar kind of scenario where March fourth comes and goes, uh, and Trump has not made a reappearance as the second coming or whatever it is they think he is. Frank, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking about this, David, and I'm, I'm intrigued by your description of this as a cult, because I think it's got cultic elements, to be sure. But what's interesting about, to me is they believe there's a conspiracy, mm. and they're seeking to combat the conspiracy, right? So it's a, if you will, it's a movement, or cult, to use your word, in response to a conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy. 
So conspiracy is the wrong way to describe QAnon. It's a response to a conspiracy. And in that, they are engaging in a long American tradition of sort of uh, being concerned about conspiracies and a kind of fascination mm. with conspiracies. So in this, um, I, I guess it's wrong to think of QAnon. And I, I think that the, the media often labels it a conspiracy. I think that's wrong. I think actually it's a movement in, re, in response to a conspiracy. And there's a long a tradition in the United States. One could argue it goes back to the founding of the country. The, the American revolutionaries, some historians have argued quite persuasively, had a kind of conspiratorial mindset themselves. They were concerned about rooting out conspiracy um, when they established the country. They believed there was a conspiracy within the British government to enslave them. Uh, the There are loads of conspiracies in your period during the 19th century. So in this, they are... They're not outliers, I guess, in this conspiratorial thinking is what I'm wait, saying. Wait, fr Frank, are you saying that the, the patriots who founded our great country were, were, were loony kooks who believed in a conspiracy that, that the British were trying to enslave them? I didn't say they were loony kooks. I said that many, many of them, yeah, did believe that. And it's very interesting to me, we, we talked about this in other contexts, that many of the adherents of QAnon, but also the kind of far-right movement currently, use the iconography of the revolution. So they use the Gadsden flag, the don't tread on me flag all the time, um, has become a kind of QAnon symbol with the snake often presented as Q. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I know you were being flippant or you know, trying to be flippant there, but, but I, I think, I think there, there's some merit to that. They believe that parliament or, or elements in the British government were seeking to, and you know, they, they adopted, they proposed these taxes in order to enslave American colonists. Mm. Well, that's patently untrue. But the belief that that belief and the kind of ideological system that underlay those beliefs has been quite carefully and persuasively delineated by many, many historians over, over the years, particularly Bernard Balin. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there is an element of that to the founding, to the American Revolution. So I guess what I'm saying is the QAnon believers um, who we are, have a tendency to dismiss as foolish and I think with some some merit, I don't. I, I want to make it quite clear. I do not believe there's a conspiracy of satanic Satan worshiping pedophiles in the United States government. That kind of thinking has deep roots in American history. Mm. But it's thinking I mean, I, about a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, are yeah. not a conspiracy. Uh, uh, to be sure, I mean, it's but, a popular I mean, movement in response to a conspiracy. But but I think that helped. You know, thinking about the difference between the the. the ways in which the, you know, the revolutionary generation sort of saw British acts and made them interpret things the British were doing in very different ways than what the British intended, right? British would yeah. say like, look, we've had, we had this big war with France. We need to pay for it. We're going to tax you. Hope that's okay. You know, and the colonists freak out about it um, because they interpret those actions in a, in a, in a very particular way, um, you know, and which 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 sort of explains sort of the disjuncture between what the, the British are doing and what the way many of the colonists are reading it, um, you know. And I think QAnon works in some in, in much the same way that, that that once you've sort of bought into the, the conspiracy the conspiracy theory or the cult, um, or whichever thing you want, that things that can happen in the real world that that seem either banal or unconnected suddenly become very, very relevant. So, you know, Jeffrey Epstein's arrest and, and death. QAnon would say, look, here we've got a, a very powerful guy who's engaging in pedophilia. And therefore that gives credence to all the other things that we thought about Hillary Clinton, et cetera, right? 
you know, there's a whole bit of in 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 QAnon thinking about about sort of secret and hidden codes that that are embedded in into everything. They they looked at you know the going back to sort of PizzaGate, which is a related conspiracy, but it's sort of been folded into it. You know, they looked at that the uh, Podesta emails that got leaked in 2016 and concluded from those that that you know that that this pedophilia ring was headquartered at a at a pizza place in DC based on on some very bizarre strange readings of, of 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 those sources there was a furniture f- company that was selling very expensive furniture and they concluded that it had women's names and some people concluded that 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 this must actually be a pedophile ring or a human trafficking ring that was masquerading as a as a furniture company and you know the people are taking actions on this. This isn't just people doing things online. The, the Pizzagate scenario led to one man in t- December of 2016 showing up at the pizza place to, to self-investigate, uh, he said, and end up firing three shots from an AR-15 into the walls of the pizza place, searching in the, for the basement traffic. People were being trafficked. Um, but so people are doing dangerous things and have been wilds. Well, the attack on the Capitol being but, but a recent example. Oh, to be sure. Right. Um you know, thinking about this as, as you know, this conspiratorial thinking, what what are the points in American history where you seem to seem to find a lot of it? I think the antebellum U.S. is one place where you find a lot of it. Yeah, we find a lot. And, and you can speak to that better than me. I mean, mm. I, I will say that in, in reading about this, in, in trying to read about it in a more comprehensive fashion than I had done previously, I was struck. My, my PhD many years ago was on anti-Catholicism in, in revolutionary New England. And I, and I it was a kind of intellectual history looking at, at what New Englanders of the revolutionary era had to say about the Catholic Church, which um, wasn't nice wasn't very prominent uh, mm. in New England at the time. But, mm. And there were real resonances. I mean, the, the, you know, the notions of believing that there's a kind of shadow and there's an institution with a, with a, with a distant leadership engaged in nefarious um, activities, including pedophilia um, and, and sexual depravity as and that, that is a threat to your liberty. You know, there, there were real resonances. When I was reading on this, I thought, mm. oh, this, this, there are real resonances with with that. Uh, we see again in your period, David. We see a lot of this with uh, anti Mormonism mm. and anti Freemasonry. Well, uh, yeah. So I mean, the the, the Catholic thing us. you mentioned earlier, you know, that fear of of Catholicism and particularly of of papacy, you know, really yeah. does become extraordinarily prominent in in the starting really in the eighteen thirties. It corresponds, of course, with with a large when. You know, in the colonial period, there aren't that many Catholics in the United States, relatively speaking. During the antebellum period, the Catholic population yeah. increases dramatically, uh, and with it, a fear that Catholicism and papacy would corrupt American politics. Uh, you know, uh, one of the actually one of the foremost anti-Catholics in the United States uh, is a person best known for inventing the telegraph, Samuel Morse, uh, who runs for mayor uh, in New York City on an anti-Catholic platform. He says, we need to sort of stop all Catholic immigrants, close down the churches. He's really virulently anti-Catholic. He publishes a book called The Foreign Conspiracy Against the Liberty of the United States, scene 35. Mm. That is about basically saying the Pope working with bishops to strip Americans of their freedoms have one fearful of Catholic and obviously anti-Catholic Catholicism morphs in the know nothing party and all kinds of, of actual political maneuvers to try to marginalize like immigrants. Uh, the anti-Masons are emerging at, at the same time, um, actually slightly earlier, uh, the sort of anti-Mason movement uh, sort of 
comes to the fore in 1826 when a man named William Morgan, who was going to publish a book uh, uh, exposing the Masons' secrets, whatever those happen to be, uh, disappears in upstate New York. Uh, and his body is later found what they believe. Maybe his body later washes up um, on a lakeside. You know, and there was this fear, and this also sort of morphs into a political party, the anti-Mason party, a fear that that Masonic lodges with their secret rituals and supposedly secret knowledge were really a conspiracy uh, to run the country, a kind of shadow government um, that was contrary to, to democratic institutions, the American ethos. Um, and so there's a real hostility to that, and it gets wrapped up into all the sort of pro and anti-Andrew Jackson politics of the time, Andrew Jackson, um, as were actually sort of lots of, of, of people from, from your era, Frank, all the lots of the revolutionary leaders were also Masons. Um, whether them being Masons meant anything at all, I have no idea. But, you know, there, there was a clear belief in, in the antebellum period that, that Masonry as a, as a phenomenon was, was, was dangerous. Frank, go ahead. David, I, I just wanted to interject and ask you about the, perhaps the most important and famous conspiracy mm. uh, of your period. But, but uh, so most of the ones we've cited, including QAnon, of course, mm. I think we would we would suggest uh, the conspiracies they're concerned about are unfounded. Right. However, yes. however, however. You know, one of the in your period, I, I want to give you the, the space to talk about this. One of the most prominent conspiracies that was identified was the so-called slave power conspiracy. Mm. So I wonder if first you could define that. But I also think it's important because, as I tried to say before, there are occasionally conspiracies, actual conspiracies, whether the popular response to them is appropriate or not is something we need to discuss. But I wonder if you could just talk about sure. the slave power conspiracy, both define it briefly, but also talk about the response to it, because it seems to me that's one that's a little bit, in, that's particularly interesting because it might be right. Um, well, you know, uh, so uh, the slave power conspiracy uh it has a number of different sort of manifestations. The abolitionist movement uh, had a different number of different strands to it, and they disagreed on, on lots of things, much in the same way that, that lots of these conspiracies, there's a debate about what the conspiracy looks like. But the basic gist of it is this. They believed that slaveholding Southerners had a, a stranglehold on the American government, uh, both ex overtly and, and, and covertly, and that they planned not only to protect slavery as an institution where it already existed, but expand it nationwide. The levers of power be, were being controlled by slaveholders to, to perpetrate slavery as an end of power. Um, you know, this is a, a conspiracy theory, if that's the right framing for it, uh, that emerges 30s in a sort of robust form, all you see hints of earlier. And, you know, uh, abolitionism at, at that point was a, was a very marginal movement. You know, abolitionism in the North were a fringe group. But they would point to the slave power conspiracy. And as sort of events get closer to the Civil War, they would point to things and say, look, the Fugitive Slave Act is evidence of the slave power conspiracy. They're, they are now capturing African-Americans in cities in the north. Isn't that evidence that, that they are trying to sort of make slavery a national like the Kansas-Nebraska Act that repealed the, the Missouri Compromise? They look, they're, they're, they're taking slavery into this territory that is closed to slavery. They point to things, the Dred Scott decision and say, look, you've got a, a Supreme Court chief justice who is, is pro-slavery making these rulings sort of that, that in some way a national frame. And then when you get to sort of 1860, you know, you, you really find, and 1861, you, you, you have 
abolitionists saying, look, we were right the whole time about slaveholders trying to corrupt our entire, uh, whether there was an actual, you know, depends on what you mean by an actual conspiracy. Um, slaveholders were, were clearly acting in particular directions, whether it was a master plan or something like that. I, who the hell knows? But uh, I mean, the, one of the things I think that's happening that links all of these sort of antebellum conspiracies in some ways sort of also then links it to, to QAnon in weird ways was that these antebellum conspiracies were, were promulgated by by a, a rapid expansion in the media. You find these new conspiracies emerging at the same time you find the penny press, uh, when the steam press makes printing newspapers and pamphlets much cheaper. It allows people to disseminate their ideas much more quickly. Uh, you know, uh, and you can not only use the the newspapers, you can use Samuel Morse's Telegraph to non, you know, to spread anti-Catholic thinking. Um, you know, and have a whole rec, you know, network of, of roads and and canals and railroads that allow ideas to spread. Uh, and so, if you want to spread a conspiracy theory, it becomes a lot easier to do that in the 1830s because it becomes that much cheaper to print off pamphlets. You don't have to do it by hand the way you would have had to, do, uh, you know, during the Revolutionary, expensive and time-consuming. You can go and print it off pretty quickly. Um, much in the same way that that QAnon, um, you know, is relying upon first things like 4chan and 8chan, but then also things like Facebook and YouTube. You know, I think most of the people who are QAnon conspirators now, if that's the right term for them, or, or believe in this mythology cult thing, you know, they don't, they weren't people who necessarily, st they don't start in 8chan and, and read the Q drops. They start with a Facebook post that a friend of theirs made, you know, or a YouTube video that they watch, and then they go down the the rabbit hole, as it were. Um, and and so I think the, the 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 kinds of new media that people have access to is part of the reason why QAnon has become so so prominent today. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think the, I, I'm glad you made the connection to the kind of democratization of information technology in the antebellum period is as a factor in, in explaining the the rise of such thinking then. Let's do a thought experiment, David. Okay. And, I, and I'm not suggesting that these things are equivalent, but they, but but this is something that I, I've been thinking about a lot over the past several days. We're assuming, and and look, we're we're a couple of academics, um, you know, uh, smug, educated elites, right? That's how we would <laughs> describe could be described, right? And 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 so there's a tendency in describing this kind of anti-conspiracy it's really anti-conspiracy thinking we're talking about it's, it's mm -hmm. the belief in conspiracies and the effort to counter those conspiracies that that we're describing right so there's the, in, in with each of these movements whether it's anti-catholicism or anti-masonry or whatever or, or QAnon, there's a belief a group of people hold a belief that there is a conspiracy out there that they need to stop because that conspiracy poses a danger mm -hmm. and in the way we frame this i'm not I don't want to impute these motives to you necessarily, so I'll take them on myself. There's a tendency to sort of say, well, we're smarter than that. You know, how could these rubes think about this? There was a very famous essay um, that, that Richard Hofstadter wrote in 19, published in 1964 in Harper's called The Paranoid Style in American Politics. Very influential, very powerful essay, quite a good essay uh, in many respects, but kind of that essay also epitomizes the, if you will, the kind of smug cosmopolitan hmm. elite perspective that uh, we know better than the poor rubes who believe these conspiracies. So my thought, that's a big deal, but my thought experiment is as follows. I'm not talking about QAnon supporters now. I'm talking about ma many mainstream Republicans, many mainstream 
not necessarily fervent Trump supporters, but people on the center right of the political spectrum in the United States don't accept that there was Russian interference, a Russian attempt to interfere in the 2016 election. Many people on the center left and the left of the political spectrum in the United States and globally take this as an article of faith. They say, of course, there was Russian interference. Those people on the center right, and again, I'm not talking about the QAnon supporters, I'm talking about Mm. mainstream Republicans, believe that those of us, and I think you and I would agree with this, that there was Russian interference in, in, in the 2016 election or a Russian attempt to influence that election. They believe that we believe that we're we're exactly like QAnon supporters, that we have bought into this kind of conspiratorial thinking. And when you're in that and believe it, everything seems to fit. And that they are the ones outside this who see this and think we're the poor dupes who've bought into this. How would you respond to that? This is my thought experiment. Yes. Okay. That's a, that's a, all right. So um, there's a couple of ways in which I think they're, they're fundamentally different. Um, I think that's an interesting thought experiment. I think we all sort of uh, wonder why some people believe what they do. Um, I find the evidence for Russian interference in, in the 2016 election persuasive. Well, you would. Of course you do. You believe you're a member of a cult. Exactly. Um, uh, but that's based on the evidence I've seen thus far. If I see other evidence that, that actually turns out that it was you know a 300-pound guy in a, in a basement or whatever it is that Trump said it was... Um, then I'd be willing to reconsider that that particular thought that I have. Um, so I think it's a it's part part it's about the the uh, the evidence uh, the evidence standards that 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 we hold these things to. Uh, that would be a distinction. Um, now the people who believe in QAnon believe they have evidence too, but uh, the evidence doesn't seem to actually sort of hold up in a in a coherent way the same way that the uh, Russian interference did. Um, you know, and part of it is is about a trust in experts. I mean, I actually haven't seen much of the evidence for the Russian interference, but the FBI and has, and and I tend to trust. And I, this is probably a mistake on my part. Um, I tend to trust experts uh, when when they make claims, um, unless I have good reason not to. Um, so I, you know, trust medical professionals. And they tell me to take vaccines. I trust uh, the weatherman when he tells me to wear a raincoat, and uh, you know, I, I trust. Uh, intelligence agents, uh, for the most part, when they when they say there's overwhelming evidence in direction. Um, but I, I think you're you're right that that you know one of the moments we're in right now is that there, that there's no unified agreement about what truth is and about what sort of basic claims about the nature of the world we live in that we all agree upon. Um, you know, I think there, there have been lots of discussions since Biden's election about about bipartisanship and what does that look like. But it's very hard to have bipartisanship when you're don't agreeing on the basic facts of, of how the world or what has happened. You know, the fact that we, they've had discussions in the halls of Congress recently about whether 9-11 happened or not, or whether Sandy Hook happened um, or any of these other kinds of things, um, you know, makes it very hard to sort of create a, a, a political middle or a place for for discussion uh, when we're not in agreement about about uh, sort of the the reality outside the outside our own doors so we're supposed we, to go outside anyway but so it's fine. right right no I, I think you're right I actually think you've kind of identified the key issue here which is that we've got people who don't actually agree on basic facts and don't and are getting their information from different 
sources. Um, again, I want to make clear, I don't believe, I actually believe in the Russian interference. I don't necessarily mm. think it determined the outcome in 2016, but I think there was an attempt to influence the election. And I don't believe it's the equivalent of the QAnon conspiracy. But I think that the thinking behind them or the belief in those and the fact that we can agree on these things is indicative mm. of, of, a, of a more substantial problem, frankly. Whether some people, we, I think we've demonstrated in this episode, look, People have always believed crazy in cons- crazy conspiracies or in some cases legitimate mm. conspiracies throughout American history. I don't, I don't think we can do anything about that. Um, it's yeah. what do we do in terms of information, in terms of trying to give, if you will, people in the in the, the mass of the broad middle of society uh, kind of information they can rely on. And I don't know the answer to that right? in the yeah. current environment. I don't know. I don't know how we solve this problem, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and this one strikes me as more dangerous, strikes me as more dangerous conspiracy, obviously the events of, of January the 6th point to that, uh, than, than most of the conspiracy theories we've seen in, in the 20th and 21st century. You know, the JFK conspiracies are interesting, but stupid and inconsequential. You yeah, know, they're harmless. They're, I mean, if people want to behave, believe in them or whatever, that it doesn't do anybody any harm. The, 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 the Area 51 moon landing you know, all of that kind of chemtrails, all that kind of, um, you know, there, there's a whole sort of range of, of conspiratorial thinking that that is, you know, rooted in, in fantasy and, and uh, you know, but, but doesn't actually have any meaningful consequence. You know, QAnon as a, as a phenomenon is dangerous, obviously, because people have taken action. Assault on the Capitol is only one of, of several actions people have. But it's also a gateway into some very much more dangerous. Like QAnon is a vehicle from which people on the on the right are, are ending up consciously or unconsciously sort of associate themselves with, with white supremacists and neo-Nazis. Um, you know, when they talk about the storm uh, as sort of the, the end of, you know, that there, there's very clear white supremacist yeah, undertones to that. And, and that, you know, people start to support QAnon when they, when they go to, you know, uh, you know, save the children, videos where they're concerned about child trafficking and, and the, the steps that, that happen between, oh, child trafficking is bad, which everybody agrees upon, to child trafficking is orchestrated by a cabal of Hillary Clinton and George Soros, uh, you know, to, to out and out white supremacy. I think this is a very dangerous gateway to all of them. And that's what troubles me. And how to combat it is tricky. If I were trying to sort of figure out where do all this just begin, and obviously there's some very deep roots to this particular conspiracy that goes well, to Illuminati and other kinds of things. But I think we really see an upsurge with things with the the Obama truth uh, birther movement. I think there's a there's a through line that connects birtherism uh, to to Sandy Hook truthers to 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 sort of nine eleven conspiracy theories. I'm not putting these in chronological order. Um, actually, maybe nine eleven is this place where these start. Well, the, I think another key element to it, though, David, I think you're right about the Obama truthers. Um, or Barthers, I should say, rather mm. than truthers. <laughs> I want to make clear, I believe Obama was born in the United States. States uh, yes. But, um, and, you know, the, the Tea Party emerged at the right at the same time. And so we saw this kind of, there was, you know, the Venn diagram of the people who, you know, who supported the Tea Party and also believe, you know, questioned Obama's, mm. where Obama was born. Is, 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 there's a lot of overlap there. But I so I think you saw the emergence of a kind of almost, nihilistic right-wing political movement that was fairly inchoate at the beginning, um, the emergence of that with the um, efflorescence of these ideas, and the two have really become inextricably linked mm. 
in the in that decade. I mean, we're talking really about the 2010. You're right; it goes back to 9/11 and before, but but uh, in in its in its modern iteration, if you will, in terms of many of the same individuals. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, you know we've really seen that flourish in the past decade now, eleven years, in in ways that are really worrying and unhealthy for the basically for the body politic in the mm. United States and the broader culture. Sure, um, it's unclear exactly you know what the right way to combat it is. I, mean, I think we're seeing some social media companies like Facebook and Twitter saying, okay, we're going to ban all the QAnon stuff which seems to have made Facebook and Twitter a 5% better place to be. Uh, but that just means that, that the, the QAnon conspirators are going to parlor and other ugly places to, to, to talk, talk amongst themselves. And that echo chamber then becomes even louder. Yeah, but, but which but, of those are the right steps? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know which is the right steps. I mean, this is a really thorny issue about about I'm using censoring advisedly. advisedly. Mm. I can't think of a better word. Uh, or or editing what goes on social media. I mean, it's a problematic concept or it's a complicated topic. Having said that, I mean, think about what you uh, a point you made a few minutes ago, which is. Look, there are always going to be avenues. Technology allows the avenues for the people, the, the real people who are intent on um, committing malevolent acts are going to find ways to communicate with each other. And that's a problem. But the people who are, if you will, QAnon curious or just predisposed mm. to some of this thinking, but kind of get drawn into it via their cousin's social media, but your Facebook post or Twitter feed. If that doesn't happen, that would be a good thing, probably. You know, so yeah. I, I'm, uh, but it's a really tricky issue, not least because of the First Amendment. Yeah. I mean, so, so one of the things that we, I think we're going to have to think about right now is one hopes that, that, that now that President Biden's elected and the Trump will save us all kind of thing uh, is, is in the past that, that people will start to come out of this cult. And how do you sort of deprogram people from cults? And we can sort of look at, at other examples of, of sort of similar phenomena. I'm thinking like of the sort of Branch Davidians and you know, showdown in, in Waco, you know, where they have a obviously a, a messianic devotion to, to a particular person and a belief in, in end of times that turned out not to go the way that they were prophesied that it would. Um, and then how do you sort of reincorporate those people into society? How do you, how do you, if, QAnon thinking or, or other kinds of uh, apocalyptic cultish thinking is, is so insidious in the sort of ways people view uh, the, their entire reality. How do you, how do you deprogram them if that's, uh, and I think the Republican party right now is having a hell of a time figuring about how to, how they're all going to live together in a post-Trump world, recognizing that half of them don't think it is a post-Trump. Yeah. I think the uh, challenge is David though, unlike say a cult like the Branks Dravidians, there is no leader here who's going, who can be toppled or exposed as a fool. I guess it's notionally Trump, but it's not really Trump, in part because this isn't a cult. It's more of a sensibility, if you will, or a way of mm. thinking, which makes it much more difficult to break people out of it. In the sense, it's hard to demonstrate, it's hard to discredit um, because of that. There's not one person that could, you know, well, Trump might have been in, although, you know, Trump nudged and winked at QAnon, but he was, mm. he, you know, he was a, he was a grifter just exploiting the, 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 their credulity, I think. So um, I, I think it's, I, I think that's it. That's one of the things that makes this so tricky. Sorry. Well, and I think the other thing that makes this tricky and makes this one particularly bizarre, maybe different from some of these other conspiracies that, that we've been talking about, is that when people have tried to sort of look at the, the 
origins of QAnon and the sort of uh, 4chan and 8chan spaces, some of this seems simply to be people online just wanting to fuck with other people and making stuff up, right? You know, oh, we're back and, to we're back to Russian disinformation. You know, but but the you know everything from like part of the QAnon worldview is that supposedly JFK Jr. didn't die. You know, 20, 20 something years ago, that he's really going to emerge at some point to help lead the storm or something, you know, some of this almost seems like, you know, teenagers online or whoever old people are um, making stuff up for their own amusement. And then other people incredulously buying it, starting with Q itself as a, as an entity, as somebody who claims to have secret knowledge and sharing it, it almost sounds like doing some of Lark and morphine, um, which makes it, I think, different from some of these other conspiracies where it seems as if some of the people who are espousing QAnon are doing it because they find it amusing rather than they particularly find it true. And other people just are taking the, the I don't know. Well, they're it's, trolling. I'm still trying right? to make sense of all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, there's, an element, there's an element of trolling about it. Uh, David, as we wrap up, though, I've, I've got one question for you because we are both fans of Star Trek. And, yes. and um, do, does, is this a problem in the Star Trek uh, universe, because of course Q is a really important character. And, and <laughs> I've got somebody. Uh, right, so okay, Q in Star Trek. Uh, so for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Q uh, is a character who first appears in Star Trek: The Next Generation in their in the the, the debut uh, premiere uh, uh, adventure at Farpoint, whatever that is, what it's called. Uh, and he puts humanity on trial for the crimes of humanity, and then he appears periodically uh, throughout the finale. Um, and he's seen fundamentally as a super powerful troublemaker. Um, kind of fitting. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that's a. <laughs> will we watch Star Trek the same way now that we see if, see the whole letter uh, in, in a different valence? I have no. Yeah, that there could be some trolling people I haven't even realized that's going on uh, with this Q level clearances. Rewatch the thing about Star Trek. I've been thinking about: Are we in the the regular universe, the prime universe, or are we in the? Yeah, you know, I've. Um... I've kind of given up. You've, I have you, to confess. You, you've kind of given up. Okay. I mean, the, the latest out a really good season of the last season was pretty good. I thought anyway. No, I, I it got so complicated and they were eight, you know, so far ahead in time and I just gave up anyway. Oh, well, okay. Uh, time for last job. Uh, yeah, I want to I want to draw attention to a story that got a little bit of attention la at the end of last week and over the weekend, which uh, concerns the discovery of beads, the uh, uh, sort of half dozen small blue beads um, that are about the size of blueberries in the Alaskan tundra. Uh, they were there was an article in the journal American Antiquity about this, and the two main researchers were Mike Kunz. Um, and Robin Mills, and they did, they discovered these beads and they've dated them. And it appears that these beads were, were found uh, in the remains of an indigenous settlement in the in the Alaskan Arctic in the Brooks Range. Uh, originated in Venice, they're Venetian beads. And people who look at early modern trade know that the, the Venetians pr produced glass beads, which were traded um, all over the kind of. Uh, uh, European and Asian uh, landmass, but it seems that some of these made their way to Alaska. And what's really interesting is these beads, uh, the, the, the researchers um, who identified them, date them, they believe they um, 
arrived in Alaska between 1440 and 1480. So people who are doing who are doing doing the math here, uh, Columbus arrived in the in in the Americas in the Caribbean in 1492. So there's evidence of trade links or at least material links between Europe and uh, indigenous North America uh, in advance of Columbus. So it's a really interesting story. It seems likely that these were traded and carried across Asia and into North America um, and changed hands many, many times. The story of the blue beads in the Alaskan tundra is what I would call attention to. And lots of news agencies picked it up or, or organizations, but um, I read about it. I picked up the story and then read, read sorry, saw the story and then, then read about it in the Anchorage um, Daily News, I think it was, but uh, yeah. anyway, of which you have a subscription, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah I right. was surprised because often you can't read American newspapers, regional American newspapers in Europe, but I was able to to link uh, to, to to find the story, and it's a fascinating story. Did you see that story? I did. Yeah, no, I think it's yeah. really you know thinking about how the people, our colleagues who do, do global history and global trade, will tell us like this shouldn't surprise us that 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 in fact you know there's a whole networks of material goods that are are moving around during the early modern period, but, you know, it does really sort of cause us to think about Columbus in, in a different sort of framework. He may have a very particular place, but it's it's not as groundbreaking as thought. Yeah. So that's a very interesting story. Yeah. What about you, David? What's yours? Uh, well, I want to just, uh, make people aware that that uh, UMass uh, Amherst has digitized uh, the W.B. Du Bois papers. Uh, oh, fabulous. Uh, and Du Bois, there's no, they don't, he's African-American historian and sociologist lived for an extraordinarily long time. He died in 93 or something. He starts his academic career in the late 80s, gets a PhD, uh, first African-American to get his PhD from Harvard, uh, wonderfully prodigious scholar, uh, and digitizing this an enormous project. He is a guy who wrote a phenomenal amount. Yeah. Uh, and so now we have access to all his published work, but but all of his private papers and correspondence used to, to research. Great. And he's a wonderful Thanks writer. I mean, as a prose oh. stylist. I'm going to talk about him actually to this afternoon in my class. He wrote a really extraordinary book about Reconstruction, you know, uh, 80 years ago, and it's still a, a book that's worth reading. So, yeah. Cheers, Great. David. Cheers. The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh, and Frank is Professor of American History and Dean International for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at WhiskeyRebelPod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.